This is The Midnight Club, a podcast for Athenas and Clydesdales and the rest of us that, when we come in last, is still coming in first. Welcome back to the Midnight Club. I am Clinton Timmerman, joined again by... Not Kelly. Not Kelly Tipple. And I have a special guest tonight that I first met in 2006 in Songea, Tanzania on a dental outreach. Uh, Keith Dreher, who is with Henry Shine, uh, which pretty much distributes all the dental and medical and veterinarian equipment worldwide. Right, Sean's one of the big wigs out there. And Keith, you were there keeping us afloat, weren't you? What was your main uh, job there in Tanzania when I first met you? So when I was on the dental outreach mission, I had a few functions. Uh, the one I liked the most was teaching English to the uh, to students I wanted to learn, but I also doubled as the pharmacist. So being a non-pharmacist, we only had uh, two drugs. We had Advil and amoxicillin. <laughs> and they trusted none me of, with none the, the hard stuff. They trusted me with oh. the kings, to, uh, the keys to the cabinet. <laughs> a lot of disappointed uh, faces, I'm sure. Like, wait, this is all you got, huh? <laughs> but you know, doing uh, outreach and humanitarian missions, and you've done a bunch, I've done a bunch. It's mm-hmm. so rewarding. Oh, it, it's the best, honestly. Uh, so I went to dentistry as an idea to try to help people. Uh, I was not prepared for the amount of resentment and hatred the general public, I feel like, kind of throws at you. Um, you know, people have accused me of wanting to just cause pain or take their money. But on outreaches, people have been just so grateful and just the purest form of somebody can show up with an issue and then you can provide assistance. It's, it's, it's the best. That's what keeps me going back. Right. I mean, we Absolutely. had people who would line up at the clinic, you know, Hour, many hours before it opened would stay like until after it closed, hoping they could receive treatment. Mm. And yeah. but but what you said, I'm going to counter that. There's you know, dentistry is like a lot of professions. There might be a few bad apples, but overwhelmingly, 99% of healthcare giver, 99.99 percent are great, honorable people that went into the profession for the reason of helping people. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's why I went into it. I just wish more patients saw it that way. <laughs> Although, quite frankly, I, th- I think I am probably guilty of the 80-20 rule where 80% of my patients might be fine. It's the 20%, like I said, those bad apples that you go home and like, oh, I was just trying to help Mrs. Jones. I wish she didn't hate me so much. But I'm getting better at that, trying to be able to shrug things off. You got to flip the switch and focus on the ones that like you. Focus the ones that do. Exactly. Exactly. That's for sure. That's for sure. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, need to just briefly just want to mention as far as Miracle Corners, which is an organization I'm still involved with. The thing we really loved about them is where they've been in Africa in particular, they really focus on self-sustainability. So we've been there on outreaches for dentistry, but try to be able to help for, for prevention. And then 
when Keith mentioned teaching English lessons, what they've done is the people there that teach English, the teachers, that's their occupation. And so they get people to teach English that their tuition money is their income and, uh, and even people that teach computer classes. So it's not necessarily a, a direct handout. It's a lot of empowering people and, you know, creating strong individuals that hopefully on a whole create, you know, they're even greater good for the countrymen. So I can't say enough wonderful things about Miracle Corners and definitely I'll put a link in the show notes about them as well. And there's no way to transition from that. <laughs> there... But we are, we are an intern sport podcast. It's true. It's Check true. out Miracle Corners though. <laughs> yeah. Check out the show note links and get involved. But, <laughs> Absolutely. But, you know, I had been to Tanzania a few times and the, you, you get an appreciation for the people. They're, they're incredible. They're beautiful. They help each other. And Absolutely. When I was there, I said I always want I want to come back and climb Kilimanjaro because it's in Tanzania, and I was able to do that. So there, that's on our bucket the sports, list. There's the sports correlation. Yeah, absolutely. How was it? It's on both of our bucket lists. It is. Tell us about oh, it. Oh, it, it, it was incredible. There's different routes. The guides want you to be successful. They know what they're doing. It's very safe. You know, for the few people that have uh, issues with altitude, they know how to safely get them down, how to you know, work with people. Every day when we were on the mountain, you go probably a thousand, except for the summit, of course. The night before you you would climb maybe a thousand feet higher and then go down so when you go to sleep you know you don't have any altitude issues hmm, i see how many days was it to to get up we were in no rush at all so we did a route that was pretty much seven days five days up two days down so okay. you go down a lot quicker yeah but in mountain climbing uh, of any kind, most of the injuries happen on the going downside. You're either your guard's not up, you're using different muscles, and um, you're not as you know careful. You didn't want to just hang glide down, just take the easy way. <laughs> no, but uh, yeah, I've done a lot of things, but wingsuit flying is not on my list. No base jumping yet. Okay, oh, let me dear. scratch that off this list. Oh, no base jumping. All right. <laughs> Have you climbed any other mountains? Has Kilimanjaro been the, the lone soldier thus far? Um, two years ago, I was at Everest, and I went to base camp. Awesome. And then from base camp at 18,000 feet, we did a side trip for an extra 1,800 feet up over base camp, which was pretty cool. Yeah. Because when you get to base camp, you're right, believe it or not, you're right by what, what's called the Kumbu Ice Fields. And that's the most, not the most, but a very difficult part of the Everest ascent because this giant ice fields that you have to start your climb pretty much the progress you want to make that day around 2 a.m. and really finish by 10 a.m. Because once it start, the sun starts baking and shifting, you don't want to be on a ladder when things are melting for the day before they refreeze. Sure, sure. Makes sense. Yeah, and uh, Everest does not take prisoners. They you just die. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. And what then you know, what a, another fun one is Machu Picchu, 
which is pretty much a three or a four day trek, or you could take the train and do a one day trek, or you could just take a train and bus to like close to the top. Oh, nice. I did hear actually by way of announcement from the, uh, I guess there's a department of tourism from, from, uh, Peru, that I guess there's a high amount of Canadians and Americans that go to Machu Picchu and streak it. What? So they've asked, oh, wait, you told me about this. Yeah, they've asked people to stop <laughs> getting de- disrobing and, and running across the field. I wasn't sure if that's something you witnessed or partook of. No, I uh, no. <laughs> have, not, have not partaken. Uh... <laughs> not did, did, now, when you were in, at Machu Picchu, did you eat any guinea pig or do the, what is it? The it, it's called leaves? koi. The, the word they use is koi. Koi. Oh, wow. Did and, you have any? Um, and like they barbecue it, so they call it uh, pig on a twig. <laughs> wow. Did you have and, any? And you know, when you go into the churches in Cusco, the, the picture of the Last Supper is with guinea pigs. <laughs> I think that's how it actually went down. That's yeah, awesome. that's in the Bible somewhere. Yeah, you eat what you got. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome. That is awesome. So, Keith, how did you get into endurance sports in the first place? I think you had a story out on Long Island, right, with Henry Shine. Well, in so each year, and this is in a lot of different cities. There's a quote corporate challenge race in in the summer. It's a three and a half mile race. It was 2009 that I showed up. I was 44 years old and I ran the first mile of that three and a half mile race and I started huffing and puffing and then I had to walk and I'm, I find myself walking with the people that started in the back pushing baby strollers and I said, you know, I can be better than this. And my real goal was to go back. My only goal was to go back in 2010 and run those three and a half miles. And I did a ton of walking between that 2009 when I couldn't run three and a half miles to um, 2010 that when I went back and I did run, the whole three and a half miles and the time didn't matter, but I was so proud of myself. It was almost that same feeling as when I did my first marathon or, you know, other more significant distances. Which that came afterward, correct? Oh yeah. 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 yeah? <laughs> okay. <laughs> so after you were done, after you accomplished this first thing, you're like, yes, I did the, you know, a little over 5k because I, I know you've done some, epic shit <laughs> so how do you get from you know a little over 5k to doing iron yeah. man so and- so that was 2009 when i couldn't do the you know f- the three and a half miles in 2010 i did it and then at the um in 2000 so then i liked it so and then i remembered as a kid i knew how to swim so i started swimming again you know you know, bought my first pair of goggles and then put my head in the water and started swimming. Had you swam as an adult, Keith? Had you swam as an adult? Now I I do 
epic shit swimming. <laughs> right, right. Was it weird the first time though? I totally remember the first time I went for a swim as an adult, like an actual lap swim. And yeah. it was terrifying. It was. <laughs> and then like when I first got to like the 50 meter pool and you're looking at the other end, I gotta get down there. <laughs> right. Because that's why they have lifeguards at the pool. Yeah. <laughs> and you've but, even gone from the pool to what have you? I mean, you've done some Ironman events, but then you've, yeah. you've even done, what, eight miles in the Hudson? Well, it was uh, only 6.7 miles. But however, only. <laughs> so so I show up to this, it's called the Spiten Dival, which is the Dutch words um, in New York City for a confluence of, of where rivers meet. Mm. And if you missed the turn, you know, if you got caught in this Spiten Dival and went the wrong way, you're like krill, you're gone. But believe it or not, so when I, my wife is my support crew, and we had a plan. This was a one-way swim. I estimated I'd be done in three to three and a half hours to be in the rescue boat. Um, and the current was so favorable that um, I think it took me an hour and 48 minutes. So Whoa. I was like done and out of the water. like. <laughs> wow. But, you know, I think a bag of chips could have made it down the same time. The chips in me might be a different story. Right, right. Wow, that's incredible. But I will say one of my memorable events is one of the other participants uh, at that race was a quadriplegic. Actually, he had really, he had one limb. Uh, the other three he didn't. And he had some swim angels that swam near him. But he did it on his own. Wow. And you see things like that and it inspires you. Oh, absolutely. I remember uh, I was with a good friend of mine from dental school. We we're having brunch in San Diego and just there, there was a marathon. I don't know if it was a Paralympic marathon, but people with prosthetic limbs going, but just blown by me and thinking like, I've got no reason. I've got no excuse. You know, look at what these guys are doing. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I did. I have worked and um, I'm still a guide with Achilles Club in one of my marathons in New York City. I did escorting a uh, blind athlete, but that was my fifth New York City marathon. But it was his like 21st. Oh, wow. So he, he could have guided me. Sure, sure. But in, in all seriousness, you know, he did know the course incredibly well. He knew what to expect, where and when. And I had trained with him a lot in central, running the hills in Central Park. He knew every turn, hill, up and down before we got there. Oh, interesting. So you didn't have to, at least maybe not as often, say, oh, take a left here or take a right there. He just no, he, automatically he, knew. Yeah, you know, he was very experienced. Though, so I, I ran with him for the marathon and we trained a lot. But I would go on Saturdays to this Achilles club. Uh, meetup and Achilles Club is a phenomenal organization. I've met the founder, and they're in a lot of cities under their name or other names. And as a guide, um, I've had you know just like Saturday matchups that you know you'll find somebody look. They say, "Hey, looking for people who will run a nine to ten minute mile." You know, ten to twelve. Um, we had one guide who was the only one who could work with this woman who could run a six-minute mile. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. 
not me. <laughs> no, no, I could. I sometimes I don't think I could bike ride that. Yeah, no kidding. Jeez. Did you have to take classes to be able to like? Is there a language, a different type of language you used to? Yeah, to guide it, it, every, good, good question, Kelly. Every athlete is different. At my main runner preferred that we would just put our elbow out and he would sort of rest his hand over our elbow. You know, we didn't use a tether, but a lot of uh, visually impaired athletes will use a tether. Mm -hmm. um, I've run with autistic runners, um, you know, people with other, you know, uh, with foot, you know, one guy had his feet crushed in an auto accident, but he's out there running. And so, you know, they work with all kinds of athletes and they really inspire the guides incredibly so that's awesome yeah that is incredible and you said this the achilles club right? achilles yep all right uh, nope. and it was you know they had lobbied for a few years to even be able to have achilles athletes in the new york city marathon you know it took a few years for them to be able to have and now, you know, they have a huge contingency, um, probably, you know, a few hundred athletes every year, every New York City marathon. Yeah, no, that's that's awesome. And, and you, you had mentioned, you know, um, being a guide for this man on your fifth New York City marathon. The New York City marathon is generally it's a lottery system, is it? Isn't it? Yeah, it's supply and demand is more applicants than slots. Yep. So. One, how did how did you make it, you know, back to the five k to the to the marathon? But then also, I mean, is it just luck of the draw that you were able to do that? that how many of you so done so? so there's, 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 there's three. There's three main ways of getting into the New York City lottery. Some similar to many um, marathons, if you're really elite, you could get a slot. Which okay, Clint, myself count us out you know we're not right, like, right. <laughs> we're not running 220 marathons no, no. <laughs> they have a lottery system and if you live in the new york area and you're a member of the uh, new york roadrunners they call it nine plus one so if you run nine races during the year with them and the, you know there's plenty of four mile races half a marathons whatever and volunteer at an event that's the nine plus one you'll automatically make it in the oh, next year. That's nice. I mm. like that. Yeah. And, you know, there's actually one race. They sponsor two races uh, that are like one mile. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> well, you know, I, that probably would have been beneficial race the first time that you ever, you know, raced. Yeah. However, you wouldn't have walked because you ran that first mile. And so maybe you yeah, wouldn't have started yeah. on this journey. Right, right. I bet yeah. that's the biggest turnout <laughs> Yeah, for those. Yeah. And do you know, are, do they have limited spots? If So let's say you get tens of thousands of people that do the nine plus one. So they're guaranteed a spot the next year. Do they just, you know, you have a running clock and everyone gets to go or do they cap it? Yeah, they, they make it work. Um, I haven't heard of any people that did the nine plus one being denied mm -hmm. and don't forget international marathons are a huge business so and you know they get new york city will have a field of people from a hundred other countries 
Mm-hmm. But then, then again, I've done mar- I've done the London Marathon, Paris Marathon, Madrid Marathon, you know, raced in Ireland, raced in Israel, and you know, you go there, you're on vacation, you stay in hotels, it, you eat meals. It's a you know big infusion of uh, for any economy. Absolutely, absolutely. What's your favorite? What was your favorite marathon? Well, being a New Yorker and I just love the New York City Marathon. I think the the crowds are unparalleled, unparalleled, and it's just you know my hometown, so I'm biased. Sure, sure. Spoken like a true New Yorker. Yeah. <laughs> no, but but New York is not the easiest of courses because they call it the five, it's the five boroughs. So hence you're going over at least five bridges. And some of the bridges are long and steep, so it's not the you know, New York City. Nobody sets a record of time in the New York City Marathon. Kind of, but it's usually Berlin, right? Yeah, well, Berlin is you know Berlin is really fast course because some people say it's the concrete, but uh, is kind on your knees and body. But there's very few turns. There's a few straightaways that, that go like five, seven miles where Chicago is flat as a pancake, but somebody said there's like 27 right turns in it. Oh, wow. The real elite athletes would prefer to just go straight. Now, have you had any marathons that you've done that you just thought, hey, this was not worth it. This this blows. Why did I come do this? Uh, Good question. No, because for me, when, when I get to the start line of any marathon, I just take a moment for appreciation and feel blessed with health that I'm at the start line. And, you know, I've had a few, you know, times that weren't great. Um, when I did Nashville, it was like 77 and humid and like 90% humidity at the start. And actually that race, we had about, so we're in the corrals, and most people know for any giant race, you wait in waves or groups called corrals, and there's a lot of lightning and thunder and rain, and they say, seek shelter where? Right. You're in a big open corral system. So they delayed the start of the race for an hour and a half. So instead of starting at, let's say, 6.30 in the morning, you didn't start till 8, and it was just, you know, a day... Uh, you wouldn't choose, but, you know, that's why it's important in training. You know, if you're scheduled to run and it's raining or windy, you get out there and run, whether it's rainy or windy, because you never know what you're going to have on event day. That's true. That's true. Which I've run into that myself. I mean, I'll be honest. A lot of times I go to ride the bike. I'm like, ah, it's raining. I don't want to do this. But they don't stop the the triathlons. They're more likely to cancel the, the swim during a rainstorm. It seems like than a bike even though you're like oh it's raining water so, the so i'll ask i'll ask you the question instead of the other way so tell us what happened in the new york city triathlon on the swim oh it didn't happen at all and uh and I was, why i was very disappointed and then come to find out it's because of the heavy rains that came up from the tropical storm the poop in the water yes it was all the sewage <laughs> systems and the storm drains and then i realized yeah maybe it's not so bad to to be in that and uh I had mentioned this in the previous podcast, but uh, there's another uh, colleague of mine. He graduated the same year I did from NYU who was in a swim club 
And he said every time he'd go swimming in the Hudson, he'd get sick. And they recommended he get his Hep A shot, and he never did. But then it kind of dawned on me, like, yeah, I guess every time you're going, I guess you're just swimming in shit. So it's part of the adventure, yeah, it, I guess. It's not that bad. But the, the only event that after the event I didn't feel great, I did a two-mile swim around, it's called Governor's Island. Mm-hmm. which is the island next to Ellis Island. So it's right like parallel to the Statue of Liberty. But you're swimming in the New York Harbor where container ships are going by and you could taste the diesel fuel of the oh, ship. Oh, wow. Uh. Nice. So after that swim, you know. <laughs> you could swim and in anything. I could swim diesel number 40, a good vintage. And yeah. What if you could... Uh you know, light a match and blow fire, kind of like a kiss on stage or something like yeah. Gene Simmons. But I will say, actually, the, the you know, except for when it rains heavy in New York City and like the sanitation uh, sewer treatment plant backs up, you know, by the Hudson, the East River is actually worse. Is it? Th- okay. For swimming than the West side of the Hudson. So yeah. I've done that as well. So I, I've run by that and looked in. It didn't look too appealing, but you've swam in the East River? Yeah. And, uh, you know, there's an episode on Seinfeld where uh, with Kramer, you know, jumping over and swimming in there and like he gets sick and, you know, that was, you know, nonfiction. Right, right. Which I know they're working on it. Uh, it's a lot cleaner now than in your Yeah, past, yeah. There's actually, <laughs> there's actually a beach now. Oh, really? Um, open and safe, they say. That's good. No one's <laughs> so they say. Yeah, no, no third arms or uh, lost hair or anything just yet from that. Huh? <laughs> um, so what what events have you done? So you've done these marathons. You've done some Ironman events, correct? Yep, did a, a few Ironman. You know, after the first, I had to prove to myself it wasn't a fluke, and I went. So first one was in Lake Placid, and. During so that was in uh, 2015, and then the I was with um, one of the you know, for any of the older listeners will remember Miracle on Ice that happened in the Winter Olympics at Lake Placid. Yes, where one of the um, one of the uh, star players on the U.S. team, Dave Silk, came back. To Lake Placid on his 25th anniversary of his, you know, when the U.S. team won the gold medal, and he and I did a lot of run walk together, you know, during the. Oh really? That's cool. That's amazing. That's super cool. That is awesome. And then what was your second one? Then I went up to Montremblant, uh, which is a a ski resort near Montreal, which. Clint was supposed um, to do that this year, but it was canceled again. Right. <laughs> and it, it, it's a stunningly yep. beautiful uh, ski resort village. It, it's very European look and feel. And I remember, I actually didn't know this. So we're getting ready for the swim start in the beginning. And the Canadian equivalent of the Blue Angels did a flyby to start the race. Oh, that's cool. I wasn't prepared for this. And then you you know, hear the thunder and they're flying like uh, 50 feet over the ground. And it's like, <laughs> it was very cool. And oh, then you're being invaded. Huh? That, 
from about mile six on the bike through mile 16 on the run. So that means, you know, it's a 112 mile bike ride. So for basically for 96 miles on the bike and then 16 miles on the run, it probably rained about three inches in a oh, massive oh downpour. Well, that must have so, been miserable. Yeah, but it, you know, if it doesn't kill you, it's all good. Right. Yeah, that's probably true. kept you cool. Right. <laughs> yeah, there was no overheating that day. That's but, true. You know, but you want to be prudent and cautious on the downhills because Montremblant bike course had a section of some real steep up and downs. They weren't that long, but they were very steep up and very steep down. Mm-hmm. And yeah. you know, you don't want to be a hero and because there's a lot of times I've seen in triathlons, uh, you know, bikers don't take out just themselves. They take out other people with them. Right. And I mentioned to you when I did the New York City triathlon, we were, you know, coming o- off the swim and in the transition. And it's actually that steep uphill out of transition to get on the main road. And somebody in transition before the to- before the mat the timing mat to start the bike fell over into me yeah and took me out with them did you get hurt no got up and i, I still have a scar but you know uh but you know a lot of bike accidents are multi-person accidents yeah that's true you know and on that new york city triathlon um there was a lot more hills than I remember. I mean, I've driven on the West Side Highway plenty of times. But when you're on your bike, you're like, okay, I don't remember that being this hilly. And so when you're at Clydesdale like me, I find myself on the downhills, want to take advantage of that and get some momentum. Yeah. But I got up, going back and looking at my Garmin, over 40 miles an hour to the point where, okay, is this safe? You know, and as you're going by people, and I had to have just a little bit more caution than normal because just like you said, I don't want to peel out or hit anybody because – that, that yeah, really so a, uh, I think a, a lot of Ironmen and, you know, a lot of bikers, you know, realize that, you know, there's plenty of times that we're all doing 40 plus downhill stretches and you're one pebble away from eating applesauce in a nursing home the rest of your life. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's dangerous. Well, and unfortunately there was a runner who wasn't going very fast, but Mount Treblant, she, uh, uh, no, no, she actually was on her bike. But she was going uphill, and then I happened. She happened to hit an aid car, and she didn't make it. Yeah, she died. Yeah. So yeah, I, be... I did a half mar- half Ironman called the Muscle Man in upstate New York. Uh, beautiful, and they call it the Muscle Man, and because uh, it's on one of the big lakes in the Finger Lakes, and there were some mussels, like the the razor clams that ended up embedded in the river and that's why they call it the muscle and if you they, they actually lay down a carpet in the center of the exit area and if you don't go exit on that mat there's a risk that you're going to step on a razor and razor muscle cut your foot and your day is over yeah that would not, not be good yeah that would blow not be good at all <laughs> Jeez. 
So you've done, I, so you've done two fulls, a bunch of halves, a bunch of marathons. Have yeah. you, have you stepped into the ultra running world? You're, you're a beast. <laughs> no, no. Um, no, um, I've been, ten, you know, an ultra actually is only, you know, they start at 32 miles at 50 kilometers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you figure, well, if you run a marathon, you could do an extra, you know, six miles. But it's, I'm on to other things. So I'm really excited because in three weeks, I'm going to Upper Michigan, the Upper Peninsula, to Mackinac Island for a swim run event. And I did my last swim run two years ago in Maine and off the coast of Portland, Maine. And I got to tell you, Portland, Oregon, and Portland, Maine are like sister cities. Oh, really? <laughs> really? Yeah. They, they really are. It's the same vibe. You know, yeah. Um, and there's a bunch of islands off the coast of, of uh, Portland, Maine called Casco Islands. And there's a... Um, the race basically and it's designed after the Attilo in Sweden. That's the the grandfather that, that started the, the swim run. And there's a short course and a long course. So on the short course basically you'll run across some island like on average two, two and a half miles, and you'll swim about a half a mile from island to the next island. And it's phenomenal because um every island is different it's some are trail running some are rock um scrambling it's really cool and there's one by you in seattle off the coast of seattle up yeah in but Orcas island but you know i, I don't want to go to a swim in a place named after whales but... <laughs> yeah no it's a it's a gorgeous area uh actually my first uh well, it was it ended up being longer than 26 miles, but it was a trail run, and I showed up prepared as if it was just a, a run in the city. So I, I needed to bring more gear and hydration than I had, and it, it was a very difficult experience. Marcus um, is hilly. It's very, very hilly. Yeah. So, so I'm so curious about the swim run thing. It is it's blowing up like it's like the the new ultra, right? Um, so you're running in all your you're swimming in all your gear, you right? You have on everything swim, right? on you, right? Yeah, yeah. So there's a spe- there's a different kind of um, suit because you couldn't run my, like three miles, five miles at a time in a uh, neoprene wetsuit. Right. right. So there's a special swim run suit that has, you know, more, it still has quasi buoyancy, quasi warmth. And then you're running, you're, you're swimming with your sneakers on. How weird is that? Do you just get well, used to it? <laughs> so the so special kind of sneakers that have drainage pretty much. But, you know, if you're a, uh, you know, you could just heck take some old sneakers, take a drill and drill some holes in there for drainage. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and and then- they're very incredibly environmentally friendly. So they give you a cup you know, a foldable little cup that you tuck in your wetsuit and your swim run suit. So they leave no trace anywhere. You know, if you if you get water at one of the few aid stations that, you know, there's no plastic cups lying around, no paper cups, no no litter anywhere. That's good. That's good. That so makes sense. So you're about to do your second one? Yeah. 
Yeah. In, in Michigan, in Upper Michigan, in a few weeks. And what's the mileage on that? Like, how many swim sections? Yeah, it's about usually there's a short course and a long course. Mm -hmm. So the short course is usually about twelve, give or take miles of run, divided by four or five legs, and five swims anywhere from three hundred yards to three quarters of a mile. Cool. But yeah. when in, in Maine, you had to really also be a navigator because the currents between islands could be pretty strong. And if you don't um, go the right way, you could get blown off course and you'll never get back to where the run will be. You could literally you either get pushed out to sea or just end up at the wrong end of the island. Jeez. And are you on, because I know some swim run um, events do teams where you're tethered? Yeah, so I did it with my friend. We were uh, tethered together. And, and how uh, how do you train for that? You just start swimming together and like, hey, bud. Yeah, so, 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 no, actually, tomorrow morning I'm practicing with some friends. You know, we're going to uh, a, a, a giant bay near us. We'll swim half a mile. We'll get out, run two miles, get back in. We'll do an ocean swim for a few hundred yards, run probably on the beach for a mile, things like that. Will you be tethered that whole time too? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're practicing, so. Yeah, wow. so you really need to have somebody who swims the same pace as you, runs the same Yeah, you need to be compatible. Or, yeah. Uh, or that you like distance. a lot. Yeah. Can you imagine? Like, I'm such a, I'm kind of a dick. Like, once I'm tired on a race, I get. A little, cr there's nobody, nobody would I'm do it with me. I wouldn't that. be able to find a partner. Or, or no comment. Maybe that's the safer. <laughs> <laughs> I plead the fifth. No, no, no. You're... <laughs> I'm horrible. But uh, I'm just saying you have to, I mean, have two people who, you know, can, right. can work together under stress. It's stressful. You well, know? the tether part too. I'm not sure if you remember the scene in Gladiator where they sent the people out and they had to fight with each other. So there's this big guy with a scrawny guy and he thought he was going to die. And so you just. I think he cut his arm off so he could be free. Um, yeah, and he, I guess you don't want to be the scrawny guy. Like, if Keith, if I'm with you, and you're like, Clint is just holding me back. All of a sudden, you pull out this machete and you cut it. Like, <laughs> I'm see out. you later. <laughs> no, but, but uh, Kelly, in all seriousness, it, it brings out the best of people because when we did it and we were on, I think that it was really just the second island with the rock scramble, and there were some pretty big, you know, like, would have probably had to been about a five, eight foot drop for some people. So athletes would stop and help each other, help the team after them and pay it forward. And it brings out the best in people. That's cool. So that's now your new, your, your, your new thing, swim runs. Well, I, I enjoy that. And, you know, I've got, and I'm hoping it's still going to happen. I am doing Boston marathon this year, but I, so have to tell you about Boston Marathon and Boston Marathon. I think a lot of people know is the true only way to get in is by having a good uh, a qualifying time. Mm -hmm. And actually, and the times are incredibly fast, you know, for you know, age graded. But so I was at I was at the Philadelphia Marathon, which I had come home from israel where i was on a 320 mile bike ride i got wow. home on wow. tuesday 
I got home on Tuesday and then like, you know, Saturday morning, we went down to Philadelphia for the marathon on Sunday. Wow. But so at the expo, I met Bill Rogers, the incredible, you know, winner, Boston Marathon, New York City Marathon record holder, you know, amazing guy. And he, you know, I went and he was at a booth um, and I talked to him for like a solid 10, 12 minutes, just he and I. And I said, hey, Bill, if I I know there's a lot of great charities that can, you know, offer a runner a slot, you raise money for the charity and, you know, uh, that's how you can get in. But I said, there are people that have qualifying times who are not getting in. Am I taking one of their slots? And he looked at me and I said, I'm a cancer survivor. And if it wasn't for the many mega millions of dollars at all the major marathons that the charities raise, and there's so many great charities, I may not be here today. And others as well. It's more important that you raise money for humanity and, you know, to better mankind. And, you know, in his case, you know, uh, like Dana-Farber is the biggest probably charity, the cancer, the hospital in Boston. And they do some great cutting edge research and or providing money for, you know, comfort for patients and their families that, you know, going through shitty times because cancer sucks. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he really, you know, put the bee in my bonnet. It's okay to run for charity because there's plenty of slots for runners and, you know, raising money for charities. And again, it's not only cancer charities. There's lots of great causes is, you know, a win-win for everybody. Yeah, absolutely. Well, even uh, Maryland, I was able to get into the, the triathlon, the Ironman there through the Ironman Foundation, uh, raise money for that. And actually, Keith, you were a great contributor. So thank you again for that. Um, and I guess it checked in and bounced. You no, know, it cleared. <laughs> but yeah. that year, I think it was Hurricane Maria relief and then actually uh, inner city bicycles. So they raised money for inner city kids that otherwise might not be able to have bicycles. Um, so it's kind of a wide variety. And I even know ulcerative colitis is another thing that's through at least the Ironman Foundation. Um, and so one thing I have wondered too, you, you talked about the big business of marathons and charity work. Um, even when I, the last time I was in Tanzania, there's so many gorgeous areas of Tanzania. I have wondered, is this, obviously this is, you know, a, a lot of checklists to go through, but is this a place you could have a, a destination race that maybe people could come and like you said, spend their money and get to know the people, and yeah, maybe even yeah, there, the I mean, there, there, there's a World's AIDS Marathon in Kenya, um, and you know, there's plenty of you know races. In, you know, South Africa has the the famous uh, Comrades Marathon uh, Ultra, and the other is the Two Oceans. Um, that you know. But it's like ten thousand feet of hills over uh, sixty Whoa. miles, and oh, geez. my my good friend um, did that race and some of his training to get ready. Like, okay, on a Saturday and Sunday, he had to go out and run like twenty, you know, run a marathon both days on the weekend. You know, as part of his training leading up to the run, wow. <laughs> just, just by himself in uh, training running. Right, the kind of thing that you you try to train to, to get up to. 
a marathon. And some people, they do that as that's just training uh, run. that's Tuesday, like yeah. you said, that's yeah. Saturday, Sunday. Um, and, and Keith, you're also going to do a, a marathon in Antarctica at one point, weren't you? Yeah. Uh, is that, so there's two marathons in Antarctica. And one of my friends I'm doing Boston Marathon with is actually, he already has his plane ticket for next March to go down there. So there's most people will go head down to Pat- you know, the Patagonia and the uh, Ushuaia, the bottom of Tierra del Fuego, and you can either take a boat, which you know probably the odds on you know barfing is like ninety eight percent, and you get off the boat and you like run around a um, smallish perimeter. I don't know eight times, eight laps or something because they don't want to leave a big footprint there mm-hmm. and you sleep on the boat. The other one, they encourage you to get a, uh, an open-ended plane ticket for back home, wherever home is, because with the wet, you fly to the science research uh, center wow. and, and there they have like, it's also a, a, like a three mile loop because they need enough centuries to post all around to shoot any polar bears that are, but oh. hey, they use uh, tranquilizer guns, you know, so That's the good. polar bears don't eat the joggers. That, that <laughs> what an experience! Or that though. that could also make you uh, run faster if you're getting chased by a polar bear. Yeah, because yeah, they do have the Seven Continents Club, and you have to do Antarctica to uh, fulfill that. How many That'd marathons cool. have you done? Um, 18 standalones and then the two in the Iron Man. Iron Man, that's a lot of wow, that's, a, that's, that's awesome. A lot of weekends, but don't and forget the, so. So, my very first one was supposed to be in 2012 for the New York City Marathon. So, that's the year that we had what we call Superstorm S- Sandy, which yeah. you know, devastated New York. I was at the, at the Javits Center the Friday evening of. You know, before the run on Sunday, I picked up my uh, bib. I had it in my hands, taking pictures. And, you know, so this is 2012. And then a lot of people, like, their beepers started going off. Remember, like, people used to wear (laughs) beepers on their belt? (laughs) Pagers, beepers, remember those things? Oh, yeah. In some museum. (laughs) And, like, so I get a text and, like, says, sorry about all your hard work leading up to this like what are you talking about so friday evening around 7 p.m they officially canceled the race um because new york city was really hurting it was the right thing to do people understood they just wish they canceled it earlier because that evening i had dinner with friends from the Netherlands and Italy in New York City and they said you know hey I would have stayed home if the race wasn't there and I wouldn't have come to New York if you're hurting that much cancel the race we'll understand you know right but they they canceled it it was the right call but they did it a little late so I still have my um some my 2012 marathon clothes for the race that never happened no (laughs) But it didn't deter you. It seems as though. No. So then mean... when I went back in 2013, the next year, that was truly, um, that was my first marathon. And then from that first marathon in 2013, and then I figured in the year 2000, 
2016, I did a thousand miles of organized races, literally on wow. like December 28th, I found a 5k to hit, let me hit my thousand mile mark. Wow. That's, That's cool. awesome. That's great. That's really cool. But and that, you know, a thousand miles is a lot. So I did that year, I did like four standalone marathons, the Ironman, you know, um, that was my 320 mile bike ride in there as well. Gotcha. And now, oh. Yeah. Two, yeah. We're in terrible times, obviously, with the pandemic. But now two years in a row, my London to Paris bike ride has been canceled and we'll roll it over to next year. But you know, we all want the, you know, the pandemic to end. We want everybody to be safe. That's more important than any event. Sure. Makes sense. Now, Keith, you had uh, asked me if I want to be part of your Peloton for that. Uh, yeah, that's right. That We're going to do it. Table? It is. That'd be cool. I'll crew. That'd be, yeah. <laughs> I'll be your yeah, man. <laughs> fortunately, that, that's a ride, not a race. So you'll be with us, Kelly. You'll be oh, hey, that okay. works. Or take a Vespa. <laughs> I I did have a question too. I mean, when you said you'll you'll uh, be a crew, uh, Tracy, your wife, she she crews you, and you've even said, oh, she. I don't know if you called her the help, but the, the support she, team. The support is she is she happy to be that, or is it a yeah? A reluctant you know, thing? She seems supportive. Yeah. So so you know, often like when I've done Iron Man or even half Iron Man. She'll volunteer during the day and like, you know, like work in transition area or something. Uh, but so it's a long day for her as well. But even like in New York City Marathon, she'll see me in three places, take the subway from Queens, from Brooklyn to Queens to Manhattan. And, you know, can see me three times on the course get to the you know grandstand and see me at the end so it's so she's hauling ass herself yeah and she has a giant cat in the hat hat so i always know where to oh, find her there you That's go awesome and you know so you know she's been with me you know for every city that i've done the fall whether it's you know nashville miami dc chicago wherever you know so she comes you know london paris madrid ireland you know, Israel, she's there with me. So, and we have, you know, we make some time at, uh, do some vacations before or after potentially. Sure. It's so important to have a supportive oh, yeah. family. And that's, it sounds like she's yeah. awesome. But, but I, for me, for Iron Man, it's funny. The hardest thing it is for like with families, like if you have young kids who are probably, Mm, two to ten is probably hard ages because they've got weekend things going on all the time um but so i would go out for in my training you know my kids were late teenagers when i got into this i'd go out for an 80 mile bike ride and a four mile run come home shower before they're awake Wow. Would you have to start at 2 a.m.? Yeah. Yeah. Just like you, you'd, I'd meet my friends at five. We'd uh, drive to some, you know, start. They're teenagers. You have to remember that. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> they They're probably waking up at, up at 11 or noon. <laughs> or, yeah. or later. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh, so okay. if you start at five, you bang it out and, you know, you're home showered and, uh, you know, and then you, it's yeah. just home family life. I mean, the, the more yeah. I get, 
involved in you know like with Kelly and her kids and everything. I'm I'm gonna have to. I have a tough time falling asleep and I have a tough time waking up. But sometimes during it, the day, it's, it's tough. A, if it's the workout, I need to just it, it, it's figure all out a balance. And, it, it's a balancing act. Yeah. That, you know, just like you, you know, prof- you're a professional and you want something done. You find a busy person, they know how to get it done. Right. And, right. You know, and that's why you know people say, "Oh, I I can't do a marathon," and and you can. There's ways to find the time. Yeah. To be efficient. To you know, do it wisely because in reality, my training schedule and every schedule is different. If I'm running three days a week, just on average six miles, and then the, the Sunday is my, the ramp up day, you know, in the beginning, it's only eight miles or 10 miles in the start. It doesn't take that long. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there's only, you know, five, seven times that you're running more than 15 miles, which is then three hours. But I like to also tie in food. So a lot of times I'll have a one-way route. My amazing support team will meet me. We have our our routine down. She brings a dude wipes, a change of clothes, and and we'll we'll go eat, right? You're hungry. That That sounds like a great day right there. See, that's another... No dude wipes. She won't go in inside with me, but that's okay. Yeah. He calls it dude wipes. I say taking a whore bath. So right. <laughs> you get the job done. Right. It's tits ass. Well, that's why I've wondered. <laughs> so for me, some of the brick workouts where it's okay today, I need to ride, uh, you know, eighty miles and then you know run nine, run ten. Like okay, this is going to be several hours. You know, eight, ten. Everyone's going to take me. I've wondered if half the um, like, is it Jan Fredero who just uh, finished the trial triathlon and I think like seven and a half uh, hours and Ironman? Yeah. Part of me wonders, was that his motivation or was it like, look, the missus has said, I got to spend more time with the family. <laughs> All the way it's happened is I go faster. So I wonder if it's just some highly motivated family man. That's just, I got to haul ass so I can get home and, you know, be able to, you know, <laughs> hang out with the kids and watch uh, uh, Hannah Montana. <laughs> but I remember my, my second New York City Marathon was we called the wind year in 2014, where it was uh, like 40 mile per hour sustained winds, which, is, you know, in New York City, actually, you really are running north most of the route before oh, you headed before in the Bronx, you head south back into Manhattan. Right. And um, I mean, it was so windy that year, the Achilles for the wheelchair athletes, they started them on the Brooklyn side, not in Staten Island because they didn't want them. It is oh. safe for them to be on the bridge with those kind of winds. But the, the gracious winner of the marathon, when he was giving his interview, said, hey, you know, the real tough athletes, people I respect are still out there on the course who are the people who are doing it in five, five and a half hours because, you know, I'm doing it in 2.15 and I'm done, you know. But, you know, for those people, they're, you know, he admires them because they're, they're giving it the persistence, the grit. And, you know, they're out there for a long time in uh, challenging conditions. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Let me tell you, when I'm finishing my 16, 17-hour Ironmans in the heat, I I envy those who are a lot more uh, efficient with their bodies than I am. So, But, <laughs> but, it's like, but we can be inspired by all kinds of people. You know, when I'm running and, you know, if you see a slow runner, I never, ever – cast judgment you don't know where they started they might have started 14 miles ago 
Right, right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, it, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't mean they just started a minute before you saw them and expect people to be fresh. Yeah. yeah. No, absolutely. That, absolutely. That, I love that. And yeah. Yeah. You don't, I mean, it, we're really just competing against ourselves and, mm-hmm. you know, quite frankly, somebody who is, uh, you know, older than me, someone that maybe has a, a different physique than me blowing by me, that's an inspiration. It's like, Hey, that, that, that's accomplishable. You know, you can accomplish that. And yeah. People's ages written on their calves. Like, I can be 78 and still doing that if I want. You know, there's evidence right there. Yeah. But one of my, when when I race, even racing, um, it's, I always remember going there with the right attitude that you're not going to come in first. You're not going to come in last. So you don't need to pressure yourself. You're there to be in the moment and make it meaningful. Whatever that, whatever that means to everybody themselves. I like sure, that. Sure, sure. And I have to ask, and I want to, I know it's so late there, and you're still wearing a collared shirt, and everybody has work tomorrow, and I so appreciate you being here. I could talk to you for like five hours, but I have to ask before we let you go, what is your key to, to not, you've been doing this a long time. Uh, we're, we're all in our middle age what is your key to preventing injury? Because, and he says all the time that you're just a beast on Strava. And I, I feel like, I, I feel like age is starting to catch up with me and I, I'm so, not doing no, so, so stuff. Just think of, of balance and, you know, think, think uh, a solid stool has three strong legs and your, your activity is only one of them. You know, you do need rest and re- recovery and hydration, whatever that means to you. But uh, you need to, I will, after events, I will err on the almost drinking too much. And I remember, <laughs> I'll end on a crude note that um, one of the guides said when we were um, on one of the mountains, um, actually in Kilimanjaro, that if you're not drinking enough, if you can see your pee, you're good, meaning it should be yellowish because if it's clear, you're not drinking enough. Oh, because you always hear if it's like dark, then that's bad. But you're saying if it's clear, you're not I mean, that could be bad also. And, you know, this isn't medical advice or anything like that. But, you know, but hydration, nutrition are important and know your boundaries. And even people who are really just starting out, you'll remember that 10% rule, don't push yourself more than like 10% more than what you've done ever before. That will prevent injury. You know, have some trusted advisors, have friends, you know, the social network, you know, friendships help make things better spiritually, psycho- psychological. I love that. That's yeah, good absolutely. advice. I need to. We're trying to immerse ourselves even in local athletic groups. Yeah. And uh, and we even so Kelly even has a good friend who also tries to 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 be a good check and balance because the way Kelly and I are wired, it's easiest you know like hey, there's a mountain right near. Let's just go sprint to the top of it and then realize, <laughs> uh oh, we're in a little overhead. So she she's a lot of times the voice of reason too. <laughs> it's all good advice. Absolutely. Well, I'm excited for your swim run. Yeah. I'll no. let you know. No, please do, please. <laughs> so will do. your will your wife be there as well? Of course. You know, and it. we're gonna take some uh vacation in the upper peninsula. 
of uh, Michigan and uh, heard it's beautiful. Haven't been. Awesome. And Mackinac Island, I've heard wonderful things. It's Victorian, no cars. No cars. Correct. It'll be very yep. romantic and it'll be awesome. Well, Keith, if anybody wanted to, to get a hold of you or see you, do you have an Instagram or uh No, yeah, on TikTok? social media, ping, ping me on Facebook or uh, Twitter. And, uh... and let me tell you, any dentist out there need <laughs> any help for anything, Keith and Henry Shine, he's the man. <laughs> Thank you. Absolutely. Well, well, thank you. Keith, thanks so much for joining us tonight. I'll see you out there the course out there sometime. You got it. Look forward to it, my friend. Be well. All right. Hey, thank you, you too. Bye. Take care. Thank Bye-bye. you. Bye-bye.